This week on Life and Faith. One month into sort of joining IJM, we had a farewell for one of our offices closing down, uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand. It was a bit mixed emotions. I thought, why are we closing the office down? But they'd been there 20 years, and in the time they were there, sex trafficking of young children disappeared. They'd done the job. Local authorities had it underhand. So that sense of, you know what, big problem, but something can be done about it. And right now in Chiang Mai, we don't need to be there. You couldn't have paid me a million dollars a year to do something different. Why does consciousness exist in the first place? Forgiveness and reconciliation takes strength. It was a bit of a culture shock when I hit Sydney. We hope the truth will out. Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX. I'm Simon Smart. Well, Mike and Steve Baird grew up as sons of prominent Australian politician Bruce Baird. Both recently had major career changes, moving from corporate roles to the not-for-profit and charity sector. Steve Baird worked in different corporations, including most recently being head of marketing at Velocity, Virgin Australia's frequent flyer program. He's now CEO of International Justice Mission Australia. International Justice Mission is the world's largest anti-slavery organisation, with 21 offices across all continents. IJM partners with local law enforcement to rescue and restore victims, hold perpetrators accountable, and help transform broken public justice systems in the developing world. We've talked about IJM before on Life and Faith. They do amazing work. Mike Baird had a successful career in banking before going into politics, eventually becoming the 44th Premier of New South Wales. He returned to banking after 10 years in politics to be Chief Customer Officer in charge of corporate and institutional banking and then retail banking at National Australia Bank. Mike recently took on the role of CEO of Hammond Care, which is a large Christian charity that provides dementia and aged care along with palliative care. Their mission is to improve the quality of life for people in need. So today on Life and Faith, we talk to the brothers and hear something of their story, what has motivated them, the people who have influenced them most, and what it was like growing up together. This episode was a bit different for me. Uh, These guys are really good friends of mine, and so I thought it would be fun to share some of their story with Life and Faith listeners. Mike and Steve Baird, good to see you guys. Thanks for coming in. Pleasure, Smarty. Thanks, Simon. Now, look, you've both made this fairly recent move from the corporate world to the NGO world, the not-for-profit world, if you like, Uh, and we'll get to that in a moment. But Steve, I want to ask you, first of all, what was it like growing up having Mike as an older brother? What was he like to grow up with? I know he's he's a bit older than you, right? Yeah, he's got nearly 10 years on me, so Mm. I was well and truly the youngest. But um, look, a distinct advantage was he was a pretty fast bowler by comparison, so... Okay. My uh, backyard cricket skills got sharp from a young age, but um, no, there was quite a gap between uh, Mike and uh, Julie, my older sister, eight years older, and I, and, um, you know, I always looked up to Mike and Julie. Yeah. And uh, did he take pleasure in uh, smashing you in the backyard in cricket? Oh, I'd say it was pretty evenly matched, Simon. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> what about Steve? Mike, what's your memory of him as a young fella? Uh, Steve is always... Um, someone who was very caring. Um, he was just kind of a joy to have around. I can't remember. I mean, most people will kind of reflect on siblings 
and it'll be on the challenges. Um, I mean, there's obviously good times, but they'll be quite prominent. But with yeah. Steve, Steve there's none of those. It was, mm. I, I remember when um, Dad came down from the hospital and said, you know, we've had a boy, and uh, I, you know, fell out of the car with the excitement um, <laughs> that I was going to have a young brother, and um, yeah, I, had, I haven't looked back since. So yeah, there's been an age gap, but uh, but Steve and I have done a lot of things together, and um, it's always been a a real treat. Yeah. Well, look, you both did come from a sort of prominent family. Your dad, Bruce, was a state and then federal politician. He was the Olympics minister. He's been on Life and Faith, by the way. And our family lived in Germany and the US. Steve, you weren't tempted to go into politics like your dad, I don't think. But I wonder, how would you describe the way that upbringing shaped you? Yeah, I, th- I think through it all, what we always learned was look out for the underdog. And I think that's what we got from mum and dad. I mean, dad in, you know, more public ways and how can we do that in government and uh, mum in less public ways, you know, and the work she did in uh, prisons and counselling. But there was always a stream in the family of uh, how can we help those who need help? Yeah, yeah. Was that something you picked up there too, Mike? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what dad showed us is that when you put your mind to something you can achieve anything i think um i mean the concept of the olympics came to our dining room table and uh you know dad said oh you know nick ryan has spoken to me and we're thinking about bidding for the olympics what do you think and i can hardly you know again i jumped up (laughs) with the excitement uh of the thought and to see the role he played in that i mean that's unbelievable but at the same time um you know, he stood up for the refugees in a way that was very significant um, for every refugee in the country and the, the public debate. Um, and, you know, to Steve's point, you know, that was the right thing to do, looking after someone and giving voice to someone that couldn't. And, you know, mum's whole life was about that. Mm. You know, she really showed us um, that actually other people matter more. And, you know, while we're here, we've got an opportunity, you know, to serve and, and look after them. So, you know, that package was probably pretty powerful. Yeah. Now, it, you did follow your dad down that path into politics after being in banking. What was it that sort of pushed you in that direction? What what took you down that path? Well, look, I think, well, for a long time I looked at it and, and thought, well, that's that's dad's crazy um, mm. sort of profession. Um, we used to see him down the bottom of the driveway at four in the morning, you know, waiting for the newspapers. It didn't used to be iPads or phones or, you know, so you had to wait for the physical newspapers to arrive and uh, he was in his dressing gown, very average looking dressing gown. Um, But he was waiting and, and, you know, you knew it was going to be a stressful day. Like sometimes you'd watch him open it and read it. Uh, And I thought, wow, that's not for me. Um, But, you know, at the core, I'd still observed, you know, what could be done. And, um, you know, I went to Regent actually to be a... This is Regent College, a theological college that... You went to, and then let, full disclosure here, I mean, it's the reason I went there too. You used to rave about this place and say how awesome it was, and it sort of got me excited about yeah. it. Yeah. No, it was an incredible place, but I, I went there on the understanding I was going to become a church minister mm. because part of that, I had a wrestle. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to make a difference, and uh, and I came after a long debate um, with Karen and a whole range of people and friends. Uh, and we got to the position, okay, we can see, you know, church ministry can have an impact, so that's what we're going to do. But when I was there, uh, I was very challenged. Well, you can impact in so many ways. You don't have to be a church minister. You can be anywhere. You can run an, an NGO. You can run a corporation. You can be in politics. And in that reflection, I started to think about actually well, what I saw Dad had done in politics and the benefit and the impact you could have. Um, so over that year, that's probably what turned my heart 
to politics. Mm. That's a whole massive story how that happened. But you did um, do it for 10 years or so. You would think of it as, as you're saying, a sort of an attempt to contribute to the community. It's a complex, difficult battle though, isn't it? But at the end of it, when you look back on it, what, what, what did you think? Like, did you feel like, yeah, that was, that was good. You were able to make a difference there. <laughs> um, I, I think when I finished, it was like, you know, if anyone's been to Luna Park and been on the rotor, um, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's the rotor on high speed upside down and, yep. uh, you kind of stumble out of there, um, dazed. Uh, is is the reality? I mean, look, you cu- you come out of politics damaged, and I've, um, I was actually talking to uh, Gladys this week about that, that that everyone that goes into politics. But w- when I first walked into the parliament, I remember the hairs on the back of my neck stood up because I thought I have this incredible privilege to advocate and lead and look after um, sixty thousand constituents. And as, as I reflected on the motivation to go in, it was. How can I help them? You know, what can I do in their schools and their hospitals and their and youth homelessness? There were so many issues. And so for me, that's what it was about. And there's all types of different roles and responsibilities. Uh, but at the core, I remember when we secured funds for Bear Cottage, uh, I said to Karen, which was a couple of years in, I think, into politics. Just tell us what Bear Cottage is. It's a... Bear Cottage is a young children's hospice, uh, which is actually in Manly. Uh, and we're able to, I was able to secure funds in opposition with the health minister at the time who had a heart, uh, Reba <laughs> Maher. And um, uh, when we got that money, uh, I said to Karen, look, whatever happens, uh, our time of politics has been worthwhile because that, that I know that money will go to families who are you know, looking after terminally ill kids or kids with life-threatening illness, um, life-limiting illness. And what a, what a pleasure that is. And, and there were many moments and events on it. And, of course, there's ups and downs and there are really terrible and difficult times. But as a package, um, notwithstanding coming out dazed, I felt an immense set of pride in terms of what was able to be achieved, but also thankfulness for the opportunity to serve. And you came out alive, which was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not everyone what? does. <laughs> and so, so let's, let's think about the way you both have made quite significant shifts in recent times. Now, Steve, you were into the corporate world. I think you worked for Qantas, didn't you? And then you were at, at Virgin. Um, and now you've moved to a very different place in International Justice Mission. We've talked a bit about that before here on Life and Faith. But tell us about that organisation and what drew you to it. Yeah, so I started with International Justice Mission in August, so it's fairly recent, but I got a text about the role from a friend, and uh, look, at first I kind of hesitated, thinking I'm not, I'm not sure this is, this is for me. I had a great career at the airline and um, you know, a lot of good camaraderie there, but actually Anne-Marie, my wife, said, no, the work they do is just fantastic. And they're not just sort of rescuing people held in slavery, but it's system change. Uh, so I looked into it more and more and became, you know, became a really irresistible opportunity because uh, I, I had no idea the extent of slavery in the world. And, you know, right now there is 40 million people, 10 million children who, who are being held in slavery. And International Justice Mission is, you know, the world's largest anti-slavery organisation who's got some really good solutions on what to do about that. So for me to uh, take on that opportunity has been a great privilege. Is it the sort of thing that gets you really 
excited to get to work each day. Like, how, how does it feel now as you do this work? Yeah, it does because I'd I'd had a you know very good time in the corporate world on the whole, but there's always something niggling around what you know what could I do to make a real difference. Mm. It's interesting. Even yesterday, I bumped into one of my former colleagues at a cafe who's moved on from Virgin. You know, and I said to her, what are you going to do next? She said, you know, I'm just thinking, how can I make a difference? And she's doing some volunteer work, you know, for a women's shelter out west. But being able to sort of impact uh, lives in um, such a meaningful way is, it really does get you out of bed. So, yeah, it's a real privilege. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a bit more about that in a moment. We'll turn to you, Mike. You've been in banking and a whole lot of different roles after, before and after politics. You're now the CEO of Hammond Care, which provides aged care, dementia care, palliative care. Why that jump for you? Similar to Steve. When I, when I looked at Hammond, I didn't know what I was going to do when I sort of left banking. There are so many different ways you can impact in a corporate. I mean, big corporations, they underestimate actually the power and the significance and the impact they can have. And I think that's one, a big debate for, for corporates. But I've really wanted, I've probably got, um, you know, one, maybe two executive roles left and I really wanted to have an impact. And when I was sort of looking, I, I got a call on Hammond Care. Um, I had become aware of them, um, but that's all. And as I read their story, I mean, Bob Hammond, um, someone who was a, a minister of a church that saw a need, and that was in the middle of the Great Depression, many families who were homeless, um, not just looking at it, well, he cashed in his insurance, like our super today, went out and bought land at Hammondville and built homes for the homeless with donated materials and, and volunteers. And that looking after those in need, which ultimately is what Hammond Cares is about, is something that I became really excited about. And it was something that grabbed me and I took the opportunity. Now, you both uh, recently lost your mum who had a long battle with a degenerative disease. Mike, I wonder did, how much her illness might have played into that decision because you'd had this experience and exposure to people in these positions, right? It did because it, it was formative because I think that, you know, what I'd experienced over the years with mum looking at the aged care when, when we put her into a facility, it was heart-wrenching. And yeah. it's kind of the hands of the family you know, handing across mum to other hands and, you know, this desperate hope that those hands would help her and care for her with a heart um, is one of the most traumatic things I think people and families can go through and I've um, seen it. But what it showed me was how important it was. And, you know, I've Mm. shared with, uh, you know, my team at Hammond Care, I I just have this image um, and it's actually... The picture I used was the prodigal son, um, but it's in essence honed in on the image of these hands caring. And uh, I, I reminded them that our hands are showing love and care every day in a way that shouldn't be taken for granted. It is a privilege, but it is impacting and changing people's lives. And uh, having experienced it, there's nothing like that to get a sense on how important it is. And certainly that's what I've seen. Dementia care is a massive thing these days, increasingly so. Um, Aged care, it's very difficult. We know it's not always done well either. We've seen some awful stories coming out of the Royal Commission. What's your sense of that as you approach your work each day, knowing that it's a long way from perfect? It's really hard. I mean, I think what what I've um, 
seen, we, we've done some analysis that suggests there's about 100,000 people in Australia who have complex dementia who aren't being cared for in the way they should be. And that's kind of the motivation to our team. You know, we have to do more. Like, we don't want to grow for growth's sake, but there's this unmet need and incredible capacity we have. Um, in so many ways, it's so heartbreaking, but so wonderful. Um, because I see so many people trying to make that person across from us um, that's in our carer's hands, he or she is the whole world, and she matters. And I was on a shift with a nurse, and in, in the discussion, someone was, their behaviours were changing um, and becoming more challenging. And over a two-hour period, um, I could see the care worker, you know, looking um, at this resident. And you know, I could see that, you know, there were kind of tears welling in her eyes and it was having an impact. And she's 19, um, beautiful young heart um, that she had for him because she'd been by his side for many months and, you know, wanted the best for him. And one of the elder care workers said to him, said, look, just remember, you know, this is not him. This is behaviours. And constantly what we're looking at for who is there, who are they, what have they done, who are their family, who are their friends, what's their story, and reminding the community, you know, he or she matters. And, you know, that, that is something in dementia care that, that I think is the key, reminding not just the community and the family and the friends, but the whole of Australia, that someone with dementia still matters in a deep way. It's really interesting because I know we'll all be hoping for someone like this to, to be looking after us when we if we get to that stage, wouldn't we? Um, isn't always like that. But you've seen some beautiful work done. I know you've sort of sat with people who are doing this work and been pretty impressed by it. There's a Christian sort of element to your organisation and I'm wondering about this, this sort of the view of the human person and the way that informs the work and how much of a, how powerful that can be, do you think? Well, that totally informs our motivation. Uh, if you reflect on Jesus' words in Matthew, when he's talking, he is saying, if you see someone who's hungry, feed them. If you see someone who's thirsty, give them something to drink. And that is what motivates us. As we reflect on those words, we see in front of us someone with need and our opportunity and response is to meet and help that need. This is Life and Faith and we're talking to Mike and Steve Baird and hearing about their journeys from corporate world to the not-for-profit world and the work they're now doing. Mike for aged and dementia care provider Hammond Care and Steve for the anti-slavery organisation International Justice Mission. I asked Steve to give us a sense of what he loves most about working for IJM and some stories about the difference that organisation makes. Yeah, my first week I heard the story of Raja who was 10 years old when his parents suddenly disappeared in um, India. And um, they ended up working at a, a brick factory. But what he didn't realise is they were going to pay his his sister's wedding debts off. And they never came back. But it kind of touched me because Raja had a younger brother and ended up sort of the two of them riding a bike to school five kilometres each day. But he missed his parents so much after six months that he went and knocked on the factory door and said, I want to come in. And then he was 
pulled into you know slavery as well for the next couple of years and he actually ended up spending you know two years before as one of the first IJM rescue operations he has gone on to become a lawyer himself and he is now working with the IJM team one of my colleagues in India uh, because he doesn't want any child to go through uh, what he did so you know as someone who's principally lived in Australia and worked in Australia, to have international colleagues that I can converse with, like Raja, who are you know, righting wrongs and just wanting to change the world, very inspiring. It's pretty overwhelming. Both of you are in fields that could be pretty overwhelming. You could get a bit depressed about the scale of what yes. you're up against. I think you're the same, Mike. How do you kind of avoid that kind of sense of despair when you're talking about these massive challenges? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good question because there's no doubt that the challenges are big. But I think that the, what fuels um, me is just how effective the programs are and the impact that we're having um, in doing something about it. So, again, one, one month into sort of joining IJM, we had a, a farewell uh, for one of our offices closing down uh, Chiang Mai in Thailand. And I, th- I was a bit mixed em- mixed emotions. I thought, why are we closing the office down? But they'd been there 20 years. And in the time they were there, um, sex trafficking of young children disappeared. So they'd done the job. Local authorities had it underhand. So that sense of, you know what, big problem, but something can be done about it. And right now in Chiang Mai, we don't need to be there. Um, it's very satisfying. That's fantastic, mm. isn't it? You try to, if your work is really effective, you'd be all, all out of a role there. Yeah. That's probably not coming anytime soon, but, but what a great story of actual change being brought to bear. Yeah, and that's our goal. Probably not going to ever solve your problems, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's um, it's similar. It's the stories. It's the people. I mean, even this morning I heard a story that's uh, one of our facilities, uh, an old gentleman, um, you know, disheveled, um, disorientated, um, uh, sort of turned up at, uh, and said, I need help. And, you know, long story short, we found out that he was 800 metres from our residential care facility. He did have living with dementia, but he was in squalor and he was in a, a caravan um, and it was just horrible and he had no connections or no families. Uh, and, you know, my team, you know, with their hearts have brought him in He's showering whenever he wants. He's got clean sheets on his bed. He's get, eating food whenever he wants. And he's telling them every day how appreciative he is of, of what we've done. Um, you know, I was at a paddle care facility um, earlier in the week. Um, and I had this man say to me, coming here, uh, I've had my tears of pain and frustration turned into tears of joy. And this is in his sort of last days. So I kind of think, you know, those teams, just as examples of what sort of Hammercare is doing, well, yes, it's overwhelming the challenges and the demands, but, you know, that is what keeps you you going. I mean, that sort of care. Steve, um, you're facing in your organisation kind of a darkness here, like this very grim stuff, this sex trafficking and slavery and all this sort of stuff. There's a sort of spiritual darkness apparent there, don't you think? Is that something you're con- conscious of? Well, th- th- this is a powerful industry that we're up against. Um, they've actually valued what they think the slavery you know, business is worth. And globally, it's like $150 billion. Hmm. 
is generated through the slavery industry. So, you know, that is the size and force at which we're up to. And a lot of this is happening in the shadows. Um, and, and the fundamental thing we are fighting against is they estimate right now in the world that five billion people live outside the protection of the law. So, you know, what these things can go on without consequence. And that's why a lot of our focus is on criminals need to fear consequence for helping people in slavery and a lot of these horrific crimes. So we work with local governments and authorities on how do we strengthen these justice systems? Where is it that things could be improved so that there's more prosecutions? And we don't want to keep going and rescuing and restoring slaves. We don't want it to happen in the first place. So it's a big battle that we're up against, but we've seen it so effective in so many places. Mike and Steve, you both, um, fair to say, grew up in a, in a kind of privileged environment in Australia, had a great loving families, and you know, you've been given skills and education, all those sorts of things. Is that something when you reflect on that and you think, right, we've got a kind of obligation to give something back to the community? I'm going to guess you're going to say yes to that, but where, where does that come from, do you think? Like, what's what's driving that kind of motivation? I haven't actually reflected much uh, on the upbringing. It's just kind of happened and thought. And, and you're right, we, we've had so many opportunities that so many people wouldn't, and that's something we shouldn't take for granted. Um, but then, you know, I think when we see our mum going and visiting prisoners, um, you know, not just once through a... Kairos mission, but ongoing, uh, with the hope of connecting and looking for redemption in a life. Yeah. Um, and when we see her become aware of orphans running around tips in Cairo, and you know, not just you know, sort of sending a donation because that deserves to be supported, but actually going to Cairo and connecting in with Mother Maggie, who le- who led that, um, and rolling her sleeves up to help. Huh. I think that sort of role modeling has made a difference and, you know, dad and standing up for what was right against incredible pressure uh, in things like uh, the refugees, um, you know, no, no one will know the demands that, that he saw. I remember him coming back to the family after he'd been to all the detention centres in Australia and he was, he was ashen white. He said, I've never seen such desperation. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that manifests itself into action where, you know, he's faced with potentially crossing the floor in Parliament. He's, you know, doesn't end up with a, with a ministry when he would have because he took a stand for them and for the many refugees. And so, you know, that package is probably put within us a desire and a context to help. So it's it's certainly part of the upbringing, but it may be sort of through the hearts and, and actions of, that we saw. Now, Steve, Hugh McKay talks about the fact that in his book, The Good Life, he, he kind of paints this picture of where satisfaction is to be found. Mm-hmm. And his sort of punchline is, look, it, it basically comes from, and this is all you know, well-researched, a life that's kind of led with other people's interests in mind. It takes, at least takes me a long time to take that into my heart. But do you, do you sense that yourself? Like, do you feel the motivation and the satisfaction from, you know, the work you're doing in this area and the change that it can actually make? Which is not just feathering your nest, it's trying to help others. Yeah, I think that's true. And just to, you know, follow on from Mike's answer about what we'd been 
given, you know, if I could speak as the sort of, you know, youngest and more quiet achiever in the family, <laughs> you know, what, what's actually been very gratifying for me as I've moved across to this um, CEO role at IJM is that there's a lot of small things that we learn and pick up day to day, which can seem uh, relatively meaningless or inconsequential but then you put in a context where, you know, things like learning how to lead a big team or run a business or study a set of accounts or tell a story can actually have a really big impact. And I think what I had and appreciated is how a lot of these skills you quietly build up over the years it can actually really make a difference. And sometimes thrusting ourselves into opportunities and places we couldn't imagine we were equipped for, we can be surprised by you know, what we can achieve and um, how gratifying that can be. Mm, that's lovely. Well, you're a less acquired achiever, Mike, um, much more public. <laughs> uh, but, but do you feel the same sort of thing? Well, I think it's all relative. I think there's, um, you know, when I reflect on our family, I've said this a lot, I look at Steve for inspiration on many things. I think his heart and his... Um, dedication and commitment to people, his loyalty, his constant um, thinking of others has been anything um, other than quite achieving. It's been loud and impactful um, mm. to those that have the eyes to see, and, and certainly I have. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Jules is uh, obviously high profile as well. My dad was high profile. Um, but Steve and mum are, are probably, you know, the hearts of the operation that have kind of kept us together and inspired us in so many different ways. And in a public context, we'll talk about, um, you know, many things about public figures and, you know, what they've done and, you know, why it matters. I mean, I met many public figures uh, in, in politics, but it was the people who were, had been in Meals on Wheels for 40 years that had the impact on me. The, the man that ran maintenance at the same school for 40 years and got a standing ovation from the school because of his impact on lives. Um, and, uh, you know, in our context, um, you know, we, we look at, uh, at Steve in, in a way that is so proud. That decision he made to do IGAM from where he was, was heart-led, purpose-led, others-led. And, you know, to me, um, I think that's what's significant. You know, the loud public clinging, and there was a bit, you know, granted. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of constructive feedback at times. <laughs> Um, yes. but you know, a life well lived is a life well lived and you can impact in so many ways. Mm. Um, some aren't public, some are, but the core of what matters, um, is below that surface. Well, <clears throat> as I said earlier, you lost your mum recently. The funeral was a credible testament to her, um, doing exactly as you've described here. And she's obviously been a huge influence on you, you both. I'm sure she'd be enormously proud of you. Um, final thing, Steve. If you were to look over the, the desk at Mike, and you, you know, I'm sure you're proud of him, but what, what do you wish for him? Like, what's the, the sorts of things you would, you would hope for him and, and likewise you for Steve? I think what's, um, what's good for me to see is um, just how, Mike, how much he's alive. Hmm. Because, you know, we've spoken about mum a lot in this uh, you know, discussion now, but Mike is you know, like mum in many ways, and I know he comes alive... Uh, when he's got opportunities to get beside people and make a difference. And, you know, it was, it was very special uh, final three or four days we had 
with mum, and especially being deep inside a nursing home, to see the way the nurses mm. cared for her and us, actually, during mm. that time. Mm. One of the, I guess, gratifying things of that is knowing that Mike can play such a central role in how that's set up for other families and seeing how much that brings him alive. So my, you know, my hope is that he keeps finding things that bring him joy and life, and um, it's a great spot right now. Mark, for um, Steve? Well, I thought you were going to say, Steve, you hope I sort of get that 100. You know, I'm still <laughs> I'm still searching for 100. We're playing. You've got to be playing together. Well, no, but we are. We're, we're, we're going <laughs> back. And, back. You know, this this summer is the return. <laughs> it's It's been about 26 years since, but, but we're back, and Steve's going to play a couple of games, and I think you're going to play a couple of games. Yeah, so. I mean, 50 would be a good starting point. It's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. Actually, hitting into the middle of this. <laughs> but um, a couple of things. When I uh, look at Steve, I, I just see just a heart, a heart that can have a big impact on this country. And, you know, you talk about a quiet achiever. Steve's time in the public hasn't been there, but his heart has and his impact has. And if I roll forward 10 years, I can see Steve being one of the most significant leaders in the country in what he is advocating and what he is doing. He is, everything is built in for this point and uh, his care for others is contagious and his capacity to bring a team together is, is phenomenal. So I think that uh, Steve can do huge things um, sort of going ahead and I also kind of reflect, you know, right now in terms of, you know, those last few days that, uh, that we had with mum, Jules, I and Steve were there right at the end and I uh, you know we saw her pass but in many respects you know she's still present with us and mm-hmm. I even right now reflect that uh, if she was uh, in this room she'd be she'd be very proud um, she'd be certainly the first one to listen to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's true well <clears throat> loved having you both in the brother's bed it's been fun do it again sometime thanks for coming thanks thanks money This has been Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart. Those organisations again, Mike Baird works at Hammond Care. They provide aged care, dementia care and palliative care. And Steve Baird is at International Justice Mission, the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do share it with someone you know. Next week. We live in an economy that's dynamic, that's in flux. We don't know what's going to make for security 30 years from now. Parents don't know. And, you know, this is like why my dad wanted us to be doctors, because he was stuck in that paradigm and he couldn't imagine that his children could be successful in any other way. None of us are doctors and we're all doing fine.